What was your first memory of church? What was your first memory of church? Do you remember how old you were? Where it happened? It's the question I asked the ordinance at the retreat, the first question. I remember being three or four years old, St. Oswald's Church in Longueuil, Quebec. My father was the rector. I remember sitting on a pew, or maybe I was crawling, or maybe I was fidgeting, but I remember the muffled sounds of a congregation at prayer and the distinct sound of the consonant S as everything was being said or sung, and it seemed so strong to a three- or four-year-old's ears. Some of the ordinance said things like, I was drawn in by the light, or drawn in by the warmth of Sunday school. Others said, a sense of fear, a sense of bewilderment, a moment of grief, a moment of being self-conscious. For some of us, those memories are long ago, and for others, they're actually more recent. But no matter, that one memory, that first memory, marked a moment in time that started a journey that would lead you all to this moment in this place. And along the way, there are a host of other memories, too. Too many to count, some of them long, some of them fleeting, some of them numinous, some of them unexplainable. And behind every moment, there are people, family, friends, perfect strangers who said the right thing at the right time that you needed to hear. Sometimes they were colleagues, and sometimes they were theology students who helped to pray you to this moment. And there are a host of others who have brought you here, the seven of you. Philip, Benjamin, Sherry, Michelle, Orvin, Michael, Alexandra, God summoning you in this moment over a long journey, bringing you to stand here, and many of those people who have helped to shape you and form you are crammed into these very uncomfortable pews on a hot afternoon in May in this old cathedral, and many more couldn't be with you today, but they pray from a distance, and others still who have entered the realm of glory, who somehow are present like a great cloud of witnesses who are here to the church is here. Do you remember your first memory of church? For some of us today, this is your first memory of church. And what a memory it will make. <laughs> Paul remembers his first memory too. It happened on a road to Damascus. 
The first time we are introduced to Saul, he is bearing witness to the day when Stephen is convicted by the council, and those who brought charges laid their coats at his feet and said, watch my coat, I'll be back in a moment, and picked up a stone, and off they went. And Saul became so single-minded in his disdain for the people of the way that he went out of his way to persecute, to expose, and he would go as far as he could, even under threat The people of the church scattered, and he would pursue them down every avenue until the day today. He was felled from his horse by a great light, and he was silenced for a moment. And he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting but now get up and enter the city, and there you will be told what to do. In some versions, it's even more clear. He says, get up and go into the city where you will be told what to do. And in a moment, it is a perfect stranger who takes him by the hand because he has struck blind. And he goes to another stranger's home, Judas, where he remains for three days, like Jonah in the belly of the fish. And he enters into a time of deep fear, bewilderment, and grief. And meanwhile, a good soul named Ananias is hearing another message from Jesus who says, Go to Saul, for I am calling him to speak my name before kings and Gentiles and the people of Israel, and I will expose and say to him, to what degree he shall suffer in my name. And imagine poor Ananias, who is tasked with going to meet the one man who he feels so threatened by, who has taken the lives of his family and his friends. Imagine him walking into that room in absolute faith, like being told, go and face Goliath in the valley. Step into the den with the lions. Go and stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh. And give Ananias credit. Because he stands before Saul and he prays over him and his eyes are opened. And the man who once was a persecutor becomes a preacher. The one who was a sinner becomes the saint. The one who was lost in hatred falls in love. That one moment in the memory of the church is told in the book of Acts not once, not twice, but three times. Chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 26. It is the hinge moment upon which Paul is willing to change his life and have it transformed to go on the road not to persecute, but to preach the good news. It is the hinge moment upon which all of those wonderful letters were written that we continue to read today. It is the moment that summons him to survive a shipwreck, to go into prison, and to lose his life. It's also the moment 
that this cathedral has emblazoned in stained glass. That's Paul's conversion right there. Every window in this nave of the cathedral marks a memory of the church's journey, beginning with the day of Pentecost and Paul's transformation right there. Before you leave the church today, take a look. We would not put it in stained glass unless, of course, Saul listened when Jesus said, go. It would not be in glass unless Ananias heard, go, and he went. Peter remembers his first moment, too. It happened on a beach long ago. Matthew, Luke, and Mark say so. Andrew and Peter are in their boats cleaning their nets, and along comes Jesus, and he says, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And along they go the beach a little further, and James and John are doing the same, and they too leave. And if you want to see them in stained glass, go out the southwest porch, that corner, and look south, and you will see James and John in glass, standing knee-deep in water, where eyes alive, willing to drop everything and go. John never makes any mention about Matthew or Peter being a fisherman except for the very last chapter, 21, where every other gospel begins. It's the last word for John. And it's the word that sets us in our context today. So imagine that day. Seven disciples go out and they decide, let's go fishing. And they set out into deep water and they fish all night long and they catch not a thing. Sometimes when you're fishing for your own purposes, you come up empty-handed. And then on the beach is a figure as the light is coming up of day. And the figure says, why don't you throw your net on the right side? And they do, and it fills. And John, the beloved disciple who, when he walked into the grave on Easter Day and sees the linens lying there, sees and believes, and somehow he knows that the figure on the beach is Jesus. And Peter does an odd thing. He's naked, he gets clothed, and then goes in the water. to make himself more suitable for the moment. And when he arrives, there is Jesus on the beach making breakfast for them. Experts say that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. It's actually the most intimate meal of the day. We don't make breakfast for a lot of people. Usually they are people so close to us, they are the people we wake up with. Jesus invites them into a deep and intimate moment on the beach, and the rest of the seven pull the boat in. And Jesus says, why don't you bring some of your fish? And in some texts it's 150, in other texts it's 153. I've always found that to be a puzzle. I imagine in that moment on the beach that they are basking in the presence of the resurrected Lord and two of them are over counting the fish. (laughs) 
It's like going to a corporation meeting with the treasurer and the rector and the wardens counting the take. The number is significant, surely, for the Johannine community. But whatever that meaning is, it's lost in antiquity. But what is not lost is that they are so overwhelmed with the take that it's worth the count. It's an invitation for the disciples to step into a life of abundance. That if you fish for your own purposes, you will come up empty-handed. But when you live with the dream of abundance, five loaves and two fish will feed 5,000. Manna will fall from heaven, and water will come from a stone in the middle of the desert. And they eat their breakfast together. A moment of deep Eucharist and communion. And then Jesus, in an intimate moment, leans over to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? That is a very intimate question, too. We don't ask that question of very many people. Usually folks who are very, very close to us. And we often ask the question because we hope we're sure of the answer. Do you love me? Of course I do. And we are reassured. But sometimes we hear a half-hearted, of course I do. And we wonder. And sometimes we ask the question, And we hear, well, love is kind of a strong word. I like you a lot. Some of that is actually happening in this interchange today. Because Jesus looks to Peter and says, do you love me? And the word he uses is agape. Do you love me with no strings attached, with no conditions? And he answers, of course I love you, phileo which means I have a strong bond of affection for you like a brother. Do you love me with no strings attached, with no conditions? I love you with strong affection like a brother. And finally, on the third time, he asks the way that Peter answers, do you love me with strong affection like a brother? Of course I do. Each time of asking, Peter becomes more and more upset. And it may be that those three times take us back to Friday when he denied Jesus and it reminds him of a moment when he failed. But in the asking without judgment, somehow an old past is being repaired. Or perhaps it's Peter being very honest with Jesus saying, I know how much this is going to hurt and how much it costs. But let me be honest with you for the first time in my life. This is how far I'm willing to go. And Jesus said, Peter, you're absolutely right. But one day, you will actually go where you do not wish to go. Today, this cathedral, when it gets really hot, feels like you're on the beach. And we are here together with seven. Philip, Benjamin, Sherry, Michelle, Orvin, Michael, 
Alexandra. Moments in time that have summoned you to see and to understand God calling you to serve as a deacon in the church, to follow a God who walks before and behind, above and beneath, a God who is in every breath, a God who renders today for you to be suitable and to put on a new garb as deacons and servants in the church that remind you of the footsteps you are called to walk in so that you might be shepherd among us and to lead with a sense of justice and hope. Today you have Paul on your right and we learn both from Saul and Paul, there are moments in our lives when we hold such strong convictions that we are, believe that we are right. This journey will also teach you humility because sometimes we're not. Sometimes when we allow ourselves to be shaped by grace and forgiveness, and we allow Christ to constantly shape us, we learn the same lesson as Paul, willing to leave it all on the line for the purposes of love and justice. We learn with the disciples on the beach that if we serve for our own purposes, we will always live in scarcity. But if we live and serve with Christ, we will always be led into abundance that the church is calling us into the future with the dreams of hope. And we learned from Peter that today we mark this as far as I'm willing to go, but trust me, God will always help you to go deeper and to offer more than you could ever ask or imagine, and in his service is perfect freedom. And learn today from Ananias when you are summoned to go where angels fear to tread, when you are summoned to go and face an enemy, when you are summoned to go into scary places, go. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. Because in going, the gospel is preached. May God hold you. May God keep you. And may God set you free to serve this church. Go.